0: We conclude our time this morning in the book of Acts, the um, sermon series series that we've entitled Welcome to the Party, understanding more about how God started the, the beauty of the church, the beauty of this beautiful, incredible, um, crazy thing that continues to be active in the world today uh, through the disciples and their work, through the missionary journeys of Paul. And this morning, we're going to conclude not um, at the end of the book of Acts. It's actually a little bit earlier, but it is an ending of sorts. Um, Paul is ending the third missionary journey and getting ready to journey back to Jerusalem. And um, the ending that we want to highlight this morning is his ending of his face-to-face relationship with the church uh, that he planted in Ephesus. And when um, we look at this passage, we're going to have a better understanding of some of the Stuff. When you come to the ending of some of that face to face stuff, those words that we share with people become really, really important. And Paul shares important words with the church as he leaves. And so we're going to spend some time with that today. Next week, um, Mario Perez, is our, our Director of Youth Ministries, is going to be sharing God's Word with you. And then the week after that, Pastor John Gonzalez is going to be back preaching in the pulpit. I think it's the first time in three years. And I'm really excited about that, that he is strong enough and, in fact, very impassioned. If you've talked to John recently, you find out that God didn't just renew his body, he renewed his passion for ministry and it's really exciting to watch that happen so two weeks you're going to get to hear uh pastor john share god's word and then i'll be back again at the beginning of september Um, i'll tell you why i'm gone in a moment some of you already know but um i'll tell you why i'm gone in, in in a minute before we do that let's pray father um we ask that you meet us through the power of your word your holy spirit's presence Um, We pray, Father, as we think about these important things that Paul said to this church and says to us that you say to us through him, we pray, Father, that you move and you meet us wherever we are, whatever it is that we are walking through, if it is the joy of new life and a baptism today, whether it is in the busyness of back to school and all the things that go on, if it's transitions in family, in relationships, in work, If it's some of the challenges that we face, whatever our circumstances, Lord, meet us through the power of your word. May we be challenged. May we be transformed. May we be renewed by your love and your grace today through the power of your spirit because of the work of Jesus. This is work that you and you alone can do. We ask you to do it today. In Christ we pray. Amen. So um, saying goodbye can be hard. Um, has anyone here ever had to do like some big goodbyes? You've been in a community for a long time and then moved to another community. Anyone sort of done that? couple times? I know there's a lot of lifelong Redlanders, so maybe you don't understand what I'm I'm talking about. Um, We've had to do this as a family a couple times. Tim knows well what we're talking about this morning as pastors. Sometimes you move out of a community and um, that can be hard sometimes um, because you love people. This coming week, the reason that I'm gone uh, over the next couple weeks is we as a family have to do some goodbying that is going to be, uh, it's been a very emotional summer for the Algersmas. This week, Cameron and I on Wednesday drive out to Michigan where I'll drop her off at Calvin College. And so we say goodbye to Cameron, at least physically. We won't be in the same state. For a time, although I am expecting a lot of frequent flyer miles racked up certainly by my wife And I already have a reason to be there in October So we'll continue, of course, and renew that relationship on a weekly basis Or text messages or all that other sort of stuff But I can tell you this, because we've done this before with Katie I know how it goes At Calvin, when you do the orientation There is this moment on the barbecue lawn. Some Calvin people here know what I'm talking about. On the Calvin lawn, the quad. And parents are with their kids. You have a barbecue together. And um, you hear someone in the loudspeakers begin to talk. A half hour until orientation begins. And that sort of sets everything up. Because what happens at that time in a half hour is kids and parents say goodbye to each other. And kids start orientation. And they get immersed. In orientation. Parents can't be a part of it. Now, Kristen and I always sneak. We snuck with Katie like later on that night. We meet her so then we can say goodbye then because we don't want to do it publicly. Because when that half hour comes up, they do like 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, and then the time comes. Kids, say goodbye to your parents. There's weeping. I mean, it's incredible. There are parents clinging to their children like, I don't want you to go! And kids who are desperately trying to remove themselves from their parents because they desperately want to go. It's this moment, and if you, am I right? This happens, like there is weeping. And, and we, because we do that later on, but because we do later on, that moment, we're sort of like, ha, ah, you goofballs, you can't handle this. We're emotionally strong, right? We're, we're, then we meet, we'll meet Cameron later on, and I can tell you, because we've been through that moment, That's hard. My daughter, again going to college, she's only 18. You know, I remember these days, right? That's hard. Because we love her. We want to see the best for her. We love having the relationship that we do. But things change. Things move. And in those moments before we say goodbye, you can bet That every word that we will say in that little three of us, Kristen, Cameron, and I, that those words will be important. Because when you're getting ready to say goodbye, what you say and what you hear matters. This morning in Acts chapter 20, we want to see what Paul does with those moments. Because it's a very similar moment. He's getting ready to leave. He's been on a long missionary journey. He's gone a lot of places in Asia and Greece. He's done a lot of different visiting. He's established a number of churches. And now he's getting ready to head back to Jerusalem. And he knows that he will not see these people again. Beginning at verse 13 of chapter 20, book of Acts. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He'd made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met, at, met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, impossible, by the day of Pentecost. Now, to start off, as we frame this passage, we get a little bit of a picture of what's going on. Paul is finishing up. He's, in a sense, tying up loose ends before he heads out. Now, last week, remember, we talked about Paul's passion. Paul took the passion of Christ's commission to go and make disciples and to baptize them. He took that passion from Matthew 28, 19, and he embodied it. And he embodied it with obedience, and we see that at work here. All these little chios, samos, esos, these are little towns or little islands in the Greek archipelago that Paul hasn't yet visited. And because of his passion to be obedient to the commission of God through Jesus Christ, he has to make sure if there's another person, if there's another place, if there's another context in which I can be faithful to God's call to preach the gospel, I will do that. So each of these names of places, it's not just stopovers to get food and water. It's not just a bathroom break. This is an intentional move by Paul to make sure that he's obedient to God's calling and to share the gospel as much as possible. But he's already done that with Ephesus. And he knows that if he stops in Ephesus, that it's going to take a lot longer for him to get home. We know he's in a hurry because he wants to be back by Pentecost. Why would it take so long? Well, it's because these are Ephesian people. Now, this morning after the service I expect I, I know you have somewhere to be for the wedding Tim but I bet you that you and your wife you're going to get absolutely mobbed there's going to be people who want to talk to you say hi to you there's gonna, you're going to be perhaps one of the last people to leave here in the lobby because people are going to want to talk to you um, before you head out to the wedding be, Paul has that same thing if he goes to Ephesus that's what's going to happen Instead of him dropping by and maybe having a potluck with the church before he heads out, it's going to turn into this person needs to talk. This person wants to hear a word. This elder needs to be encouraged. This person needs help. And he knows it's going to take a long time because he's built up that relationship of love in the Ephesian church. And he wants to keep moving. But he wants to say a word to them. And so instead of him going to them, he calls the elders to him, a small group, a group of about 12, so that he can share some words with him. His final words to the Ephesian church, that begins in verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything. Excuse me, that would be helpful to you. But I've taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the Great Commission. Paul was affirming that he's lived into that Great Commission. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the tasks the Lord Jesus has given me. Task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, again, we affirm, Paul called the elders. Now again, why would that be important that he calls the elders? Well, certainly it is to save some time but remember we've talked about this before the elders and Paul commissioned elders in almost every church we hear about it again and again he commissioned elders to lead those communities but these again were very new Christians they were young so now even by the time that Paul has completed the third missionary journey on the way through Ephesus he planted that church long ago there's probably still some very young baby Christians and he, he doesn't want them to be afraid for what is ahead he does He doesn't want them to be um, unequipped. He wants them to be encouraged and ready for the task ahead. You also notice what he says in verse 24. He says, I consider my life worth, what does it say? What does it say? Nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Now what's interesting is that he, he knows that in Jerusalem things are going to get bad. He knows that. He's been affirmed by the Holy Spirit every, every step of the way. Every city he says he's been reminded that there's hardships ahead. But here he's, he's eager. Let, let's go. Why? Because for him his life means nothing. Hear that. Here is a follower of Jesus Christ who is so immersed into obedience to God that he's not worried, even knowing that things ahead are going to get tough. What do we do with tough things? How many of you avoided some tough things this week? You said, no, I'm not going there because that's going to be hard. You decided to to. To, In a sense Take the easy way out What's interesting isn't that The part of our culture that we see Every day right It's easy it's simple If you got a headache what do you do you take A pill If you've got a challenge ahead then Maybe you employ for example um, Christian and I were talking If there were hard work of retiling My bathroom she said well You can do it and I said I don't want to I'm gonna hire somebody. Why? That's gonna to be too hard. I'm not gonna do that. And that's a natural compulsion in our culture with everything. Because we have often the capacity to avoid the suffering, avoid the challenge, avoid the hard work. And Paul knows that the suffering is ahead and he's eager for it. Friends, there is a radical difference oftentimes between the culture and the faith life of Paul and people around him than there is for ours. And we need to hear that. Because I think oftentimes, and I know this, I'm only going to say it for me. I'm a softie. I'm a, you've heard me say this before, namby pamby sissy la la pom pom girl. I really am. When it comes to some of the challenges of following Jesus with that sort of passion, that I would be willing to go this place, that place, in every person that I meet, every context that I'm in, make sure that somehow the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Because I don't know that I'm always in it with my whole heart. When you're in the classroom this week, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th graders, are you passionate about making sure or m- making sure that at least you're faithful in sharing and showing Jesus to the world around you? Teachers in your classroom, people in your workplace, people in your neighborhood. Are you sold out for that passion? Because if you are, it begats certain types of behavior. There's no longer fear of being rejected. There's no longer this concern of reputation. Reputation. Paul certainly wasn't living into a concern for his reputation. He knew it was already shattered culturally, and he just totally went after it. When the passion comes and we're sold out to it, our behavior follows. I'll give you an example. It's not a good one, but it'll sort of work. Years ago, many of you know, I was a youth pastor for a long time. Took a lot of trips with youth groups all over the country. Did a lot of driving on road trips. Did a lot of flying. And there was only one time that I lost kids. Only one time. Only once. All those trips, literally, I think it was like 100,000 miles, I only lost kids one time. I'm going to tell you about that time. What's the name of the grave right above Denver there? Is it Wild Bill Hickok's grave or whatever that grave? Who is it? Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill's grave above the hills of Denver. It's about 45 minutes away from downtown Denver. You got to drive up all these hills to get there. We were on a service project with a group of about 22 kids in Denver. We decided as a night activity to go up and see Buffalo Bill's grave and just hang out there. Watch the lights of Denver down below us as the sun sun went down. It was going to be one of those beautiful nights. We drove up there. A lot of twists and turns Um, in order to get up there. It takes a little while. You get up there and there's a parking area and you just sort of hang out and places to sit and talk and we were doing that and the sun went down and we saw the lights and then they announce it they announce it again over a speaker they say hey park is closing in five minutes which as a youth pastor it means hey everyone load up right everyone get in your cars we had about five cars which is the problem we had five cars so everyone loads up in five cars, and we start down the mountain. And we get back down, and we hit the interstate, whatever that interstate is that you take back to where we were. And we're on the interstate, and suddenly we all had radios. Over the radio, I hear, um, where are Halia and Cynthia? They're not in my car. They're not in my car. They're not in my car. And I'm looking around in my backseat. They're not in my car. I left them up at Buffalo Bill's graveside. And it's a little bit wild up there. Like literally, it goes through your brain. Bears, bears go through your brain. You're thinking, these girls are getting eaten by Yogi Bear. It's happening. Or cougars. Or squirrels that are bananas. I don't know. Everything goes through your brain. So we pull over on the interstate. Okay, here's what happened because in this moment I went from this is a nice night to I'm all in Everything is focused. These girls are gonna die if I don't get back up there I got one person who goes along with me another girl so that they can cry together when we get there because i'm fearful of that I get a phone call from them. There's no service up there. They say we're up here still click done So i'm like freaking out We get off the freeway. It's just me and the girl in the truck. I take one of those emergency turnarounds that only cops and tow trucks are allowed to take. On the interstate. Go booking back. I'm on the interstate for maybe about two miles. By the time I'm through there, I'm going 140. I'm in a Chevy pickup. It's got a big engine. I'm moving. We hit the switchbacks. The whole time, I'm literally, this girl sitting beside me. I'm speaking in tongues, praying to Jesus like, you know, the handbrake turns where you're going around and you kick the dirt up. I wasn't afraid whether or not I was going to die. I wasn't afraid for this girl because they were getting eaten by bears. I had to come and I had to help. I had to help these girls that I had left. And here was the worst part. One of the girls had been a girl who had never felt included at youth group. So it gets even worse. Now the youth pastor forgot her and she's not included. Like this is the worst thing ever. And we get there and the gates are locked. The two girls are just sitting there together. They're huddled. They're praying. They got tears coming down their face. I squeal to a stop. The doors blow open. This girl gets out. These two girls come back. It's one of those moments of grace that I am forever grateful for. Come around my door. Come up to me. And both of them embrace me in this bear hook. The only bear that was there was the hug they gave me. Because I was all in in that moment, I was willing to live into behavior that I never, ever, ever exhibit any other time. I don't drive 140, friends. I don't use the handbrake going around corners. I have care and concern for others, including myself. But because of the passion that I had to make sure that those girls were safe and okay, my behavior followed. That's what's going on with Paul. And for us, asking the question, what sort of behaviors will follow the passion that God has given us for the gospel as we grow that passion to share the world of Jesus Christ with others? Because what happens if they don't get it? You know the answer to that question. To have that passion is God's calling and we live obediently to that as Paul did. Let's continue verse 25. Now I know that none among you, none among you, um, among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Remember that for three years, never stop warning each of you day and night with tears. Now, Paul knows that he's not going to see them again, but he also knows, and this is important, friends. He also knows that he's spoken the truth to them. He says to them, you know that I have been faithful. You know that I have spoken truth. You know that I have spoken love. And now he releases it to them. What does he say? He says, therefore, I declare to you today that I am the innocent of the blood of any of you. He's saying, in essence, now it's up to you. Now it's you and Jesus. I'm not involved anymore. Which is important for us to hear because, friends, so often we think we're responsible for the faith of others. We think that we're responsible to make sure that our children know Jesus. How many of you have felt that guilt if your kids don't know Jesus, right? You feel that guilt. But asking this question, have you been faithful? Have they heard the truth? Do they know the story of God's grace? Because if they do, in some senses, we don't wash our hands of our love for them. But we do wash our hands of our responsibility. Because who saves? Does Don Bierman save? Praise be to God. Does Scott Algrisman save? Praise be to God. No. Jesus saves. And Jesus is the one who is at work in the lives of your friends, your co-workers, your students, your your whatever it is, whatever the context is, but for you and I to be able to say, we don't have to worry about it anymore because you're in the hands of Christ. And frankly, he's way better than dealing with this than I am. That's what we can do. We have to be faithful, but then we allow Jesus to work as Paul did. And Paul continues to do. And then he cautions them about spiritual attack. And he said, this can come. Get ready. And for us as a community to remember that, remember that, because frankly, in the world that we live in, that power for spiritual attack is just as prevalent, if not more prevalent, than the time of Paul. We need to be wise and discerning. We need to be watching out for one another. It's sometimes one of those things where as a pastor, I send out uncomfortable text messages, make uncomfortable phone calls, and have uncomfortable meetings that the elders do too. That we as a community are willing to say, we don't want the wolves to have anyone to get after. We don't want the community to experience being devoured by the spiritual attack. So we get engaged in the work of protection, of discernment, of wisdom, of mutual encouragement, and of love. And friends, you're a part of that. It's one of the reasons why you say, I do, when families stand up here and, and offer their children before God in baptism, because you are a part of the work of being guards around the spiritual battle. And we engage in that. And we can't be fearful of that. It's okay sometimes, friends, to ask friends hard questions about their faith. You should. That's actually being a loving brother and sister in Christ. If you see a friend exhibiting behavior, you see a brother or sister who's living into a life that does not honor God. Love says that you care for them enough to ask a question. And Paul is cautioning the community towards that. But thankfully in all these commands that paul gives because there's a lot of commands he closes the passage we close the passage with this beautiful picture for beginning in verse 32 now i commit you to god to the word of his grace which can build you up give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them, prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most... Was a statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to this ship. Now, Paul commits this community to God. And it's an important step, and it's one that we can learn from. To commit those conversations, those friends, those family members to God. To say, Lord, it is now up to you. I have been faithful. I have been obedient to your calling. I now have faith. That what I have done, you will take glory in by continuing the work that I have started. And he also encourages them. And you see, it's his final words to these Ephesian elders. He encourages them to generosity. Read it again. It says, "And everything I did, I showed you. But this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why would he finish with that? Because he's saying to them, if you are willing to... Listen here. Love another, you're about some of the best things. That's what generosity is. It's love another. Does that sound familiar? Go back to your greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So we have here... Paul encouraging the people, the elders, the leaders of the church towards that kind of love for another, living into that, leaving a legacy. He's, Paul is leaving a legacy in the lives of these elders by saying to them, These are my final words. Now go and do them. Paul's asked the question what's his legacy? Are we? What is your legacy? This is how he closes it. Yeah, there may be correspondence with the Ephesian church. We know he read the, wrote the letter of Ephesians. We know that he probably wrote the mother in letters. But this is his final closing words. He's leaving that legacy of faith in them. Because leaving a legacy is important. Tim's left a legacy here. For sure, a beautiful gate. That's an important thing, a mark, that God has done work here. Others have left legacy. I pray that God leaves a legacy through my ministry and my work here. But for us to ask that question in our lives, this was really brought home to me a couple weeks ago. When a very dear friend um, of ours, so it's an old friend, we haven't spent a lot of time with her in the last number of years, but we were very, very close with them about 20 years ago. Her name was Mel, Melanie. Um, On August the 3rd, Melanie died. She died of um, ocular cancer, cancer in the eye that had spread to the rest of her body. It was very quick. She was 55 years old. They have four children, her and her husband, and Dan. Two of them are adopted. Um, it's a sad story. This is a former babysitter of Kristen. We were, we were best friends with them when we lived in the Bay Area when we were first married. We hung out a lot. Just a, one of those people, like you know how some people's resting face is mean? You ever seen that? Resting the, the face where there's like a frown on their face? This was Smile. That that was who Mel was, smiling face all the time. One of those people that you just looked at her and you felt lightness in the room. Well, we were a part of the um, I don't know, what are those caring pages or care bridges, whatever they're called. Those last those those notes that people send out who are walking through illness to inform a community of it. We were getting those and reading those, um, going back and reading them. Actually, Mel's death after Mel's death was heartbreaking but beautiful. And it was beautiful for this reason. Because in the life of her friends and her family and of her children and the people that she cared for, she was leaving a legacy. She said things like, I have hope. She said, I have assurance. She said things like, I trust for my children in God's hands. She said things like, I know love, love from you, love from my husband, love from my family. She said um, over and over that she felt God's presence. And this was a mean cancer. It was fairly quick and it just wasn't, it never, when it came, there were a whole bunch of things that had to happen. It just wasn't going to let her go. It was mean. And yet through all of that, She testified to the presence of God. I texted her husband this week, and I asked him how the memorial was, because it happened about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. And he said, it was very and dot, 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 meaningful. And I know what he meant. He didn't have to say anymore. It meant that all the things that she had talked about in her letters and in the carrying bridges were affirmed. That what had been spoken, which she had spoken to her children, they had received. What love was shared with her, she then could see and bear witness to that love being experienced by the people who knew her the most. And friends, we don't know what our time is. We don't know. Perhaps you got another 70, 80 years. I don't know. Perhaps you got... Two hours. Perhaps you got two weeks. Perhaps you got two months. Perhaps you got two years. Perhaps you got 20. I don't know. But asking the question, what is your legacy? Here was a man who was sold out enough to say, my legacy is obedience to God and loving another enough to share the gospel, the hope, the grace, the love of Jesus Christ. For us to continue to ask that question. Every opportunity we have. What are our final things? What is our legacy? What is it that Christ is leaving behind through us? To that end, let's pray. Father, we see the example of Paul showing us a legacy of love, of friendship, brotherhood in Christ. We see a legacy of faith in the church that through him and many others you establish that continues in us even today. You are a God who has been so active in the world around us every moment of every day. And for us to see that and ask the question, Lord, how are we a part of that activity? How are we living in obedience to your call, to your commission, to see the people around us? To live into love relationship with our coworkers, neighbors, family members, whatever. In such a way, Lord, that they can see, that they can hear, they can understand that there is a Jesus who loves them so very, very much. Lord, you and you alone are the one who can equip us to that end. Lord, we pray that we can live into that and that there is that legacy, that legacy similar to Paul. That, Lord, you established something through him. Lord, that you established something in our obedience. And, Lord, we pray for those who are here this morning who are still searching for you. We pray, Father, if it be your will, that they, they have the courage to be able to say, I can't fix this and I want some of that power, that power that equips me to live differently in the world around me, to live in such a way that they can see something unique and different because I have hope, I have love, I have Jesus. Lord, I pray that you do that work because you and you alone are the one who can. And we pray these things in Christ. Amen.